Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about how this weather or whatever is impacting your landscape or your plant material or your lawn or whatever, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly. Yo. What did you think of this morning as far as when you got up and headed out the door? It was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Really nice. the, The breeze yesterday and now the breeze again today. It has that cool feel to it. So are we actually in the fall season? Boy, I would think not. We're only in mid-August. I know. But uh, it sure feels nice. Now, we're supposed to get more humid tomorrow. Today, the humidity is going to be pretty low, as Matt said. Tomorrow, more humidity. So that'll give us that more of an August feel. But temperatures in the mid-80s, that's not too bad. It's not fall, but it's not bad. So, yeah, it was really, really pretty. I stepped and looked up, and I was hoping to see a meteor or two, but... The moon's pretty bright for that, Absolutely. so you'd have to have a, a pretty good-sized meteor to, the moon to, looks to be able really to see it. The moon spectacular this morning. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. So, great day. Yes, absolutely. Well, enjoy. I will. And it is Saturday morning, and we can have a discussion about what is impacting your plant material. So, if you've got questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I talk to you about your concerns or whatever... Hopefully my thoughts and ideas will help you orchestrate or solidify your options. Of course, with that final judgment of the action that you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me over so we can talk about your landscape. And uh, wherever you happen to be listening, another important player is Drew. Drew answers the phone. He pushes all the buttons. He makes sure that I... Get myself together. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do landscape consultation. I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has an email address and phone number. I'm having some problems with my computer and my phone and lots of different things. So if I don't get right back to you, that's because trouble, trouble, trouble. Anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, I pulled up and stopped at Arsenal and Missouri. The bed space right there where Canna's, Miscanthus, and Daylilies hang out together. 
The rolling topography is home to a curvy lake, and trees, <laughs> trees, trees range from bald cypress to Japanese maples to pines to spruce. They're mingling in with sycamores and sweet gums and oaks and all kinds of other things as well. As the walkway splits to the right, there's a playground, and there was a a father and a mother, and their son, and their I think it was a son. I couldn't tell from the distance. Uh, playing around in the playground, and it was like pretty darn early, so they were up early and having a lot of fun. Also in that basic area, there's picnic tables, there's a horseshoe and tennis courts both. And uh, boy, oh boy, the invitation and this coolness, uh, it was just refreshing as heck, just like I was talking to about Brian. I saw the full moon as it was sinking to the southwest, and various birds were singing their melodies. Four-inch caliper white oaks were saying, we are the future, while some of the other residential trees in the park were uh, falling apart. So their life was pretty much over. The lawn is a blend of Dutch white clover, nut sedge, and all kinds of other things as well, broadleafs. But it's it's green. It looks good. It hasn't been mowed recently, but still, I don't mind the uh, sort of ability of stuff to survive with no care basically at all. And uh, one sign says, welcome to Benton Park Lake, public fishing. Another one says, no swimming. There was dog walkers and joggers out to enjoy the sunny daybreak situation. Classic homes surround Benton Park, and it really makes us, the setting is really striking. And uh, there's a really kind of a neat bridge in there. And the bridge reflects on the water below it, and it kind of makes a sort of a Van Gogh-like effect. And a great friend of mine, Charles Hooker, who worked with me at the Botanical Garden, he was in charge of the Japanese Garden. He passed away last year, and he was a Benton Park lover. He had lived there for 20-plus years. So anytime I go into or go by Benton Park, I always think of Charles. And boy, oh boy, life is just Totally wild and crazy. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Why don't we just go ahead and take a couple calls before we go to a break. Let's go to Joel's. Joel, how are you? I'm great. How are you this morning? Very good. Um, Appreciate your show very much. Listen to you all through the years. Um, You are my family's definitive authority on all things garden. So I appreciate your insights. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife heard you telling somebody, giving some counsel to apply a fall pre-emergent for crabgrass control. And we've been doing that and seeing fabulous results. Um, what we're trying to figure out is we just want to get your thoughts and take on how we should do things in the fall to care for our lawn. We have a cool um, season lawn, mostly um, blue and fescue. And we want to figure out when to do our aeration, overseeding, and then applying the pre-emergent in the fall since the pre-emergent, I know, messes with um, the new seating. And so we wanted to figure out how we should do things when and what the ideal um, timing and all that is. Well, on the years when you want to do some seating, you should just skip the pre-emergent entirely because there could be some residual and cause some problems for the seed. So it's just, just don't do the both of them in the, you know, in the same season. So alternate years or something like that would be the better way to go about it. Somebody actually sent me a picture of their yard and he was he had been doing pre-emergence in spring and fall both, and consequently his lawn was in terrible shape. And I emailed him back and I said, 
Forget the weeds. You get your lawn back in shape with the core aeration, the composting, the seeding, and do that because his really look, his lawn looked pretty bad. I said do uh-huh. that for a couple of years until you get a decent lawn back before you worry about weeds because you're, it's just you're wasting your – you're spinning your wheels, let's put it that way. Oh, okay. That makes good sense. All right. So is there a timing when it's best to do the aeration and the coration and the, the composting and the overseeding? What's the ideal timing for that? Basically, you want to do it when the ground is warm, so that's fall. So anytime, let's say late August through mid-October, that would be a fine time to do it. All right. And so then do the aeration and then overseed right on top of that. But if we're doing the overseeding, there's really no point in doing the um, – we shouldn't do it pre-emergent because no, it's going to be kind exactly. of contradicting each other. Because it will kill anything that germinates. And then so right. you okay. core aerate, spread some about a quarter to a half inch of compost, and that's right after you put the grass seed down. Okay, perfect. All right, that's very good. All right, appreciate your help, and um, have a great day. Great. Well, thank you, and thanks for calling. 314-436-7900 right. or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, what a spectacular morning. So while you're listening to the show, just step outside. If you haven't been out yet and uh, just take a nice breath. Let's head over to Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I, your previous caller kind of answer, uh, asked one of my questions about the fall pre-emergent but is it better is it too late to put it in like the last week of august uh no that's not too late that's you know basically the time you want to do it and just a little bit okay what and it's all going to be related to you know each year is going to be a little bit different because the weed seeds are going to be germinating so you've got that window of time there to do it but uh yeah you could go ahead and do it then okay is it better to do it right after the lawn's been cut as opposed to when it's a few inches high? It doesn't make that much difference. I mean, if it's really elongated, you're, you know, the blades are over four inches, then it could be a little bit of trouble. But for the most part, you're going to get it down to, you know, onto the soil surface. So the, the height, you're going to water it in or do whatever, depending upon what type that you've got. And that's going to get it down on the ground because that's where the weed seeds or any kind of seeds are going to be germinating on the ground, not up on the blades of the grass. Okay, because last year chick or this year chickweed was just terrible. So, okay. And the other question I have is two. I have a rose of Sharon growing through the bottom two links, I'll say, of a chain link fence right at the fence. Is there any way that I can move that? I may have to even cut two of the links to get the the stalk out because it's maybe a half inch wide anyway. Right. So why do you want to move it? Well, I mean, it's growing up right on the fence line. Right. You know, I don't know if that's good because now it's kind of sticking out a little bit of an angle as opposed to going straight up. But the pieces are already probably five feet high anyway. Right. I mean, it's going to be a lot of, you know, you can go ahead and, you know, just cut off the branches that are, you know, going through. I'm assuming this is a chain link fence and just cut it off, you know, cut them off and then make sure that you dig the root ball pretty good size because if it's five feet high, 
you're going to need a root ball that's probably 15 inches or so in diameter and at least, you know, 12 to maybe 14 inches, you know, deep. So it's going to be a pretty heavy root ball. And if you're going to do that, make sure the night before you're going to dig it and move it, first of all, get the location where you're moving it to prepared and it wants full sun. It doesn't want wet soils. It wants good drainage and uh, water it the night before as well. Yeah, so how how wide um, does a Rose of Sharon, the actual stems coming up from the ground, how big do they get? I mean, would they eventually grow into the fence if I leave it alone? Uh, or? Well, I mean, they'll grow through the fence just like they are now. Or, you know, some of them won't get that, let's say, the correct angle to be able to go through the chain link, and they'll just sort of be pressed against it. And then they're going to be overshadowed by some of the other branches that are not work, you know, growing against a fence, and you're going to have to cut them off because they're, you know, they'll drop their leaves, those particular branches. Yeah. I mean, I love volunteer flowers, but this one was really not in a good spot. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Thank you very much. Sure. Let's head over now to Denny's. Hi, Denny. Hey, Mike. I got a question. My daisies, the rabbits ate all the blue I mean, the white flowers around them, and all I had left was that bud, the center bud, which eventually turned brown and everything. I cut those off and put them in a brown bag because I read somewhere that I can plant those and the seeds from that will grow more. Is that true? Well, if they've ate the flowers, then there's no way to have seeds because the flowers make seed. Well, what's that center? They ate the white flower around that center section. So they just ate the petals? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So they ate the perimeter? Yeah. Yeah, then, well, I I mean, if it got pollinated, that could be, you know, potentially, uh, you know, seeds. I thought you were sort of saying they ate the whole flower. Oh, no, no, just, yeah, the petals. Yeah, there's, I mean, the sunflower family has two different flowers all at the same time. And so... I would go ahead. You could try that, but it may not be all that successful. And if they ate you know, what you're talking about, the crown of the plant is still okay. It's not going to be impacted by that. It still should be you know, green and growing, and not necessarily getting bigger, but just you know, healthy. Well, when should I throw that in the soil to try and grow more, now, or should I wait until spring or what? Uh, you could do it now. I mean— it wouldn't. It wouldn't make. Okay, let's put it this way. Probably what I do is if you have several different of those center parts of the sunflower or of the shasta daisy or the daisy or whatever, sprinkle half of them in the fall and then do another half in the uh, springtime. And okay, that, that sounds good. And that way you're probably covering all bases. Okay, thank you much. Sure, my pleasure. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And speaking of the sunflower families, which is the daisies are, the sunflower, here's some trivia. The world's tallest sunflower is an amazing 30 feet high, and it's that's according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And the same book lists there are 889—well, no, <laughs> I'm not going to—that one's just nutty. But anyway— 
Sunflowers can decrease the growth of neighboring plants due to compounds that they contain that are toxic to some other plant species. That phenomena is called allelopathy. And the, the fear of sunflowers actually is a mental health disorder, which is kind of unbelievable. The wild sunflower is a state flower for the uh, Kansas, the state of Kansas. The sunflower is one of the few plants that can be grown, that were grown in the International Space Station. And 1.3 billion pounds of sunflower seeds is produced in North Dakota only. I mean, that shows you how, I mean, North Dakota must have a heck of a lot of sunflowers. And uh, they're high in protein. Sunflower seeds are rich in antitoxins or antioxidants, and they can be lower the risk of number of mental conditions or medical mental medical conditions. Also, sunflower butter was developed as a healthier alternative for peanut butter, and the world's most valuable sunflowers. Well, it's by Van Gogh, of course, a painting of his, and the sunflower group, and just in general. If you've been a longtime listener, you know I mentioned a, there's a house on Morgan Ford and Federer, which I call the you know the Canna Banana Farm, and now the Canna Banana Farm has some sunflowers along the uh, south side of the house, and those probably are ten feet high. So the gentleman and the, his wife and Levi, their dog, take care of all kinds of different plant material. It is really a spectacular place. So. The Canna Banana Farm has become much more striking than it has been in the past. Another member of the sunflower family is the chrysanthemums. And the chrysanthemum is the second most popular flower in the world. Only rose is more, you know, more popular than the chrysanthemum. In China culture, chrysanthemum is one of the four noble plants along with plums, orchids, and bamboo. Japanese emperors so loved chrysanthemum flowers that they sat upon their thrones and they were covered with them. So that's pretty wild. The chrysanthemum was first introduced to the Western world in the 17th century. So in other words, it came from the Orient. Chrysanthemums entered the American culture in 1798 by uh, Colonel John Stevens. He imported a cultivar of the dark purple from England and today there are more than 20,000 cultivars of chrysanthemums. So that shows you the sunflower family just kind of in general is totally wild. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's see if we can get Bob before we take a break. Hi, Bob. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, um, yeah, I've got a question about dethatching in the fall. Um, I have tall uh, fescue. Okay. Uh, uh, and the summer, you know how it went. And I got patches all over the place. So I'm thinking dethatching might be the best route because I aerated last fall. Um, but I think I need to detach this year. Um, and this may be seed. But how would that correspond with, like, the fall, um, uh, you know, the, what do you call it, when you prevent seeds from Oh, pre-emergent? Yeah, that pre yeah pre emergent. So uh, so how does that all tie together? And you can't really do if you put a pre emergent down, you can't disrupt it with anything like core aeration 
or dethatching or anything like that at all. So you almost have to decide what you want to do and do that as opposed to trying to do them both of the you know in the same situation. Yeah. So um so I'm gonna dethatch and seed. So like in a couple of weeks start that or yeah. Wait till mid mid September or No, do you, you don't have to wait that long. It's not you know, it just depends upon your own personal schedule and everything else. So as we get towards the end of this month from that all the way up until early October, that's a window of time with you're going to get the best germination of the seed. And then what you want to do is just make sure that it's germinated well enough. And, you know, let's say the root system's established enough that if we have some kind of weird cold snap, because we never seem to know what the weather's going to do, then it should be able to handle that. Okay, great. Thank you very much for answering my question. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to, how about, let's go to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda, how are you? Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, we have a garden at a community garden that's mostly, well, it's supposed to be organic. And a lot of us up there are having a terrible problem this year with cucumbers, although we're one short of 99 cucumbers off our vines. They got this beetle on them. It looks similar. It's similar in size to a ladybug, but it's yellow with black spots, and it eats the leaves. And um, I kind of read up on it. It causes a cucumber wilt. Is there anything that we can that you would recommend? Because it's, it's we did spray some seven on it, but that really didn't seem to do much good. We also sprayed um, one site suggested like a horticultural spray, you know, to like I guess suffocate them. Right. That really didn't eradicate them. That's I guess more organic. And is there anything you can suggest to help with that? Because I mean, it just our friend, our neighbor, just planted her garden in July, and she had absolutely beautiful vines. And then we came back from vacation like six days later, and they were mostly dead. Her vines were dead after looking spectacular? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They had, you know, the beetles on them, too. Yeah, basically what you have to do is just monitor them and... The insecticides, regardless if it's an organic type or non-organic, you have to spray it directly onto the beetle. There's nothing that you can do systemic-wise to put into the ground that the cucumber plant would uptake it and then would kill them as they were feeding. So this has been a you know kind of a rough year for certain things, and that's one of them. Oh, yeah, it's been a rough year for a lot of things. <laughs> right. Well, also, I planted some really nice um, Roma green beans at my house. And they all got like a, you know, they all look like they were just sunburned or a fungus or something. And I attributed to the fact that it was right next to our white vinyl fence. But they're doing the same thing up at that garden. It's all open air. Like, what the heck? <laughs> What's the matter with this year? And it's not just our garden. It's other gardens, right. too. That it's weather, happen. you know, it's weather-related as much as anything. But the insects... You know, certain ones are just, you know, like this year, I haven't seen as many Japanese beetles as I have historically. So why certain waves of insects one year is going to be, let's say, more out, you know, outstanding number-wise than another year? It's There's just no way to know. 
Do you think an insecticide like seven would would have killed them, sprayed directly on them? That's yeah. I mean, basically it will. And so, okay. I mean, you can do that, but you've got to spray it directly onto the insect. There's no resi- There's very little residual effect from insecticides right. for the most part. Well, what I was basically doing was up there smashing them, just picking them <laughs> off. And we just morning, <laughs> just you know, <laughs> whatever is the most torturesome way to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> And the rest of them could care less because they're not even watching. All they're doing is eating. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, thank you. Have a great weekend. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Linda. And I'll tell you, you know, myself, I grow, not every year, but a lot of the years I do grow castor beans. And my castor beans, for some reason, have leaf miner this year. And I never remember seeing leaf miner on them. And leaf miner... If you look at the leaf, it looks like some kind of squiggly thing. And what this is is an insect that goes on the indus, uh, that's on the underside of the leaf, and they tunnel into the leaf, and they just tunnel around in there before they exit. So it looks like some squiggly stuff uh, just on the leaf. And I've never, like I said, I've been growing them for a long, long time. And this is the first year I've ever seen leaf miners on my castor beans. So this is a you know crazy world. How about let's go over to Anthony's yard. Hi, Anthony. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I have a question. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on my garden for this year. It was totally disastrous. Uh, my soil seems to be lacking in uh, nutrients. What if for next year, how would you recommend preparing my soil uh, for the next growing season. The tomatoes this year were just lousy. They didn't grow. Uh, the bushes grew very good, but I didn't get no very very few tomatoes on it. Basically, what I do is get well, a soil test. Plants, but, but no fruit on them. Yeah. But and I believe uh, I tried fertilizing the soil, you know, putting the nutrients in that in there that it needed for tomatoes. So... I just want to look at next year. Do I, would I put a? Uh, um, I did uh, prepare a compost into it, you know. But the lawn compost, I don't know if that was the wrong compost to use. But I need to prepare the soil because even my zucchinis didn't do good. Right. What, what do you, would you need, recommend? What would you need to do is get a soil test and find out what is in your soil, and then make the adjustments according to that. As far as fertilizing and everything else, you may have extreme levels of phosphorus and potassium due to fertilizing over the years or whatever it happens to be. And then consequently, that's detrimental to the uh, any kind of plants that you're trying to grow there. So get a soil test done by the University of Missouri Extension Service and find out what there is there. Find out the soil pH, nutrient levels and everything else. And then build a plan for next year as a result of that. But certainly adding compost to it would help, but find out exactly what there is in that soil. Very good. Okie doke. I'll do that. All Thank right. you, sir. Perfect. Thanks, Anthony. And now let's go over to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hi, Mike. Hey, I had somebody offer me. He said he bought 50 pounds of urea for his corn, and uh, he didn't need that much. He was offered it to me. He told me it was forty zero zero. Right. What else can I use that on Besides corn, uh, basically urea is a little you know a little tough. Nitrogen is a nutrient 
that only when you put it on the ground, it only stays there for about uh, a few days, and then it becomes atmospheric and goes up into the air, and then when there's lightning strikes, it comes back down out of the air. But as a result, just be really cautious because high levels of nitrogen can burn some stuff. So just, you know, just be really experimental as far as for me to list the things that you could put urea on, that would be a little bit tough, but just, you know, put it on lightly and basically this time of year, just be really cautious about what you're going to be fertilizing because sometimes by fertilizing later in the season, as we're heading towards later in the season, it could, let's say, slow the process that plants should be getting ready for winter time, and then there could be some damage as a result of that. So you say basically anything, just as long as you don't use too much or right, whatnot. Right. All right. So I just go on the internet and find out how to I dilute it with soil, or how how would I dilute it? Or just you know put it on. I'm assuming on the bag it says, you know, put this much per, you know, 1,000 square feet or whatever it happens to be. But just put a lot. Just don't throw a handful around, a, you know, the base of plants or, you know, be it shrubs, be it trees, be it perennials. Just don't do that and just sprinkle it lightly. Okay. All right. Um, is it too early to start the fall garden? I was thinking about replanting lettuce and my sugar peas and things like that. It's, uh, you know, we don't know what the weather's going to be like, so you could start that. The seeds could germinate, and if we have a extremely hot spell, then that's going to send those guys, you know, sort of downhill. So I would wait for maybe another week or two. Okay. Well, it's tough to be a farmer. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi. Yeah, um, got a couple questions. If I get a little uh, long, just say where you've got to go, and I, I won't take it personal. But anyway, um, I've got a water treatment system to use potassium chloride, and every three or so years I let it run down and then clean it out totally. Since it's basically potassium, uh, and i got about an uh, acre and a half of zoysia, if I uh, spread that out sparingly on my yard, would that be okay? I would not do that. You would not do that. Yeah, because, I mean, potassium and phosphorus are two chemicals in the fertilizer world that can do some major damage. Even if you're spreading it lightly or you think you are, it could build up and cause some problems. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, one other thing. Um, I have these, what I call them surprise lilies, and I, last week the lady called them naked ladies, which... If I told my wife I had naked ladies in my garden, I would be grounded. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, they do make good cut flowers for uh, to bring in the house for bouquets. They, I brought them in Saturday. I didn't know that. I thought they were lilies and they wouldn't last a day, but uh, they lasted almost a week now. You know. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah, they make real. I put them with some fern 
uh, I got some hanging basket with a lot of fern in it and mixed them up together to give it some color and all, and it was a really a nice a bouquet. But anyway, one other thing, um, I looked at uh, some of the box gardens, and I was thinking uh, starting a new garden, I was going to put a hydrangea in it, and, uh, and they got full sun, and they also got partial shade X. I mean, this garden would be in full sun. Are hydrangeas all right for that? Depends upon the variety. Some of the varieties would prefer not to be in the full sun all day long, but many of them can handle the full sun without a problem whatsoever. So do a little bit of research on which ones you're looking at. Okay. All right. Because like I say, I looked at the tag, and and both full sun and part shade is... Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I I was confused. I didn't want to start something that uh, wasn't going to make it, you know. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate your your information. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks for calling. And we've got some, probably don't bother calling, wait until we come out of the news at 314-436-7900, the 1-800-925-1120. University of Missouri Extension Department uh, has done uh, something related to our weather this summer with being so dry. It's blistering temperatures, and then the winds and things like that have had a detrimental impact on lots of different plants materials. And most extensive what happens is the above-ground growth is something obviously we see and we're concerned with, but what the difference is is the root system. Once the root system starts, let's say, imploding as a result of a drought situation, then that's where the real trouble is. So to understand the impact of a drought on woody plant materials, it's necessary to understand the role of water in plant growth. Water is the lifeblood of all living organisms in your landscape. Regardless of the amount of water or anything else, it's just, it's essential to have the water there. 
So you don't want to have too much water because it can do de- it can be detrimental to the root system as well. But it's all part of the whole situation of the plant material uh, producing chlorophyll, and chlorophyll is the food. And since the roots are up, you know, very responsible, they are the only thing uh, for uptaking water. Any kind of root damage at all can cause drought injury to the plants just in general. So if you're, let's say, you go on vacation for two weeks or something like that, we've had really a lot of heat and a lot of winds, that's going to be bad for the plant material. So I'm not saying you shouldn't take a vacation, but just realize that situation could be detrimental to some of your plants. And some of these conditions uh, with the... Basically, the roots, there's roots that are support. So, in other words, keep the plant material from falling over. But there's also roots that uptake nutrients. So, very, so the feeder roots. So, there's a couple different kinds of roots. But any kind of damage to the roots, uh, you've heard me talk plenty of times about plants that were not installed correctly, were installed at grade, and they sank a little bit. And it ended up with like a depression around, let's say, the the main trunk or the main branches coming up out of the, you know, coming off the root system of the crown and water sits there and then it, you know, does damage to the root system. So there's this sort of like the fine level of too much water, not enough water. And it's, that's, and especially in this area where we probably have the most difficult situation in general for weather-wise and everything else because we never know what's going to happen we get these extended periods of rain that goes on and on and on, and then we get to, within just a few days or a few weeks or whatever, then we get extended drought periods, and it's just it's really really difficult to you know kind of orchestrate. So if you've had success growing lots of different things, uh, then I mean my hats off to you, and I guess a tip of the trowel to you for being successful because it is not easy to grow things. Whether it's evergreens, whether it's deciduous, it doesn't matter. All the plant material is really, I mean, water is really essential. There's no getting around it. And the best way to prevent or, you know, minimize, you know, drought damage is irrigate. So use a hose or use an irrigation system. So just realize that the drought is can be really bad. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. Thanks. And it's a tip of the trial hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And a question for you, not related to the normal stuff we talk about. Generally. Really? Okay. <laughs> but we have talked about. Uh, what What do you think of your electric car, your Tesla? Oh, I love it. Do you? Yeah. I, I don't get to drive it a lot because Sue drives it most of the time. Sure. But she let me bring it yesterday. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it. It's it's just fun. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat to plug it in at night, you know, and you think you're charging your car. Uh, everything's great on it. 
So really enjoy it. So it doesn't really run up your electric bill all that bad right now? Not really, no. And actually, I saw somewhere they have signs at gas stations that have the electric chargers, and right. it'll say gas, you know, $4 a gallon. It's now under 4 by the way, in Illinois, finally. Yeah. Uh, and then electricity or for your car, and it's like 15 cents a megahertz or whatever. I don't know. Kilowatt or whatever they, but <laughs> right. it's like it makes it look really good. I don't, but you know, you have to kind of know what that means to really know what it's going to cost you to charge. Right. But exactly. it doesn't cost that much. No. I was just curious because we were driving someplace the other day, someplace in Brentwood or something, and uh, Tracy saw all these cars sort of lined up you mm-hmm. know, to get charged. Yeah. And it was like, do people not, doesn't everybody have, let's say, a charger at home? Is that an option? Or they it- should, yeah. I mean, we've got the what they call a level two. So you can just plug it into the wall. And the thing with that is it's really slow. Like when we went to Florida, we plugged it in. It was down to about 30 miles, and it literally took all week to get up to 300 miles. Oh. But if we plug it in at home with our level two, it takes it takes a few hours, but you can go from 30 to full in probably five hours, I'm guessing, something like that. Now, the superchargers, which is probably what you were seeing, those take about a half hour to fully charge. Ah. So, yeah, you can charge at home, but, you you know, they also have, and I saw where Missouri is going to start putting in more of the charging stations. Oh. When we were in Colorado, we saw a lot of Teslas. Really? Yeah, a lot more than you see around here. Huh, that's yeah. interesting. And you see more around here all the time. Great. So, yeah, I, I love it, and I highly recommend it. I think they're great cars. You love it just because it's so rare? No, it, it's a great drive. One thing, too, is the acceleration is so nice. And, like, especially if you get on a place, like, you get on the Poplar Street Bridge, and and you you can just buzz by everybody and get away from everybody, you know? And, I mean, literally, it, it pushes you back in your seat when you hit the accelerator. Wow. Not the gas pedal, the accelerator. It You can, you go, you can go from zero to 60 in the length of a quick trip. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, it's fun and i'm not like a car guy and a speed guy right but it's fun well great thanks brian (laughs) have to get one for the update yes (laughs) yes and thanks to you for having me on your show we can discuss plant selection caring for ups and downs and all around for the annuals keep uh, fertilizing your annuals your bulbs yes your summertime bulbs is it too soon to be planting your daffodils and tulips that you just recently bought they are going to be you know, available at uh, garden centers and stuff like that. Or places like Brightside St. Louis, they sell bulbs there, and they don't have them readily available yet, but they're going to be there. It's a little bit too soon to be putting the fall or the next spring bulbs in. So uh, how about ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that's needed to be taken for success. Across the big board is Drew. Drew answers the phone. He produces, pushes all the buttons and everything else. So when you call, all he needs to know is your first name, and he'll get you on the caller screen. And uh, during the week and weekends, I do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage. But right now, things are really nuts this, my computer's down, and I don't, I don't know what to do. I can barely breathe without a computer or anything. But anyway, tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 
861-3344. Tip of the trial, again, I've given this a couple times, but I'm just amazed with the way the weather's been, how many people have been really successful with their landscape. I walk, you know, in our neighborhood in South St. Louis a lot, and, uh, boy, some people, that just their landscapes are just really striking. And I'm not saying that you have to do that, but I know it does take a, quite a bit of work. There's no getting around it to sort of keep juggling this, just like I was talking about last hour related to the drought and not, you know, a whole lot of rain and no rain and then winds and this and that and everything else. But uh, And then I think the weather guy was saying that uh, Monday night, you know, we're going to start having another downpour flood situation. So anyway, tip of the trowel is uh, going out to everybody that works in their landscape. And it's it's just really nice to walk through the neighborhoods and, you know, look at the front of the houses and think, wow, they've really done a great job with this. So, And, again, it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Why don't we get a call or two in before we take a break? Let's go to uh, – let's go over to Mark's. Hi, Mark. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I have a Japanese maple tree that is just growing like a total weed. When is the best time to prune this thing back so I can get down my sidewalk? (laughs) Well, the maples in general would prefer to be pruned during the summertime. So if you can get it pruned now, that would probably be the best time. The reason for that, even though, you know, sugar maples are the only one that really the sap is actually tapped and then turned into syrup, but the maples in general in the wintertime ooze a lot of sap, and that's why you can. There's nothing wrong with it in general to prune in the wintertime. But if you can do it in the summertime or warmer weather, it's just going to be a little bit to the advantage of the tree. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I just don't want to hurt it. <laughs> so, And just if you've got long branches that you need to cut off, you know, that may, if you cut them off just at one cut, you know, attached to the trunk or to the large branches attached to, just make sure that you might cut a, an extended length branch in sections with the final cut just leaving a short stub. Because if you just make one cut, it, the bark, you know, the weight of the branch as it falls might tear some of the bark, and you just don't want that to happen. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go, let's go over to Richard. Hi, Richard. Hello, Richard. Are you there? Above ground or below the ground? I didn't should it sitting on, should it be sitting on top of the mulch or below the mulch? I didn't get the first part of your question. A soaker hose. Should it be above ground? Should it be sitting on top of the mulch or below the mulch? Oh, no, you can't put it below. That's too much work and too much hassle because if you have to move it around. So you can just water from the top. So just from the top? Yeah. Just run your soaker hose on top of the mulch, on top of your lawn, on top of, you know, if you're, you're watering, let's say, a perennial or a shrub border or something like that, yeah, just run it on top of the ground or mulch. Okay. Another question. I have. I had a uh, a place that was in shade before, in which I had hostas planted, and it's in full sun now. Yikes! What should I be planting? <laughs> 
Well, it just, Can I save all hostas? Uh, yeah, you're going to have to move them. If you leave yeah. them where they are, I mean, they'll survive. It's just they're going to get sunburnt every year. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, sort of the bad side. But in that area, you know, if it's full sun now, just realize I don't know what size tree or what kind of tree was there that was creating the shade. But the, the activity or the tree roots are still going to be there, even if the stump was ground out. So it's going to be a little bit of detrimental to any kind of plant material that you put in. But if you're going to put in, you know, let's say you want uh, herbaceous type things, look at the sunflower family, the black-eyed Susans, purple coneflower, those type things. They're the probably okay. the toughest and most durable. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some phone lines open, but right now let's head over to Arch Yard. Hi, Art. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, I just wanted to tell you, you mentioned Benton Park. And I'm 69 years old. When I was 10 years old, we lived at 1925 Wyoming ah. Street, which is a block east of Benton Park. And I, I fished in that park all the time. But really? anyway, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Hardly ever caught anything. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so this house, are you there? Yes. So this house at 1925 Wyoming, it's a two-story brick, and at the back alley, there was a miniature barn. Uh, we figured it was big enough for two horses, and the, the feeder trough was still in there, and a small hayloft, and then on the other side of it was enough room for a buggy. Oh, my goodness. So we think that that's how they got around town. It was probably dirt streets. <laughs> but anyway, here's, here's the kicker. On the yard side of this barn, or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, shed, was an outhouse built onto it. And this outhouse was covered with grapevines so thick and heavy, it probably hadn't been opened for many years. And every year, I believe, this vine would get big purple grapes on it. Wow. I mean, big ones. But guess what? None of us would eat them. <laughs> <laughs> I can I see mean, why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, they look so tempting, but uh-uh. <laughs> so anyway... Um, you know, uh, my dad uh, and, a, and his brother ended up tearing that down and made uh, off-street parking back there, you know, just, you know, for a couple cars. Sure. Uh, but uh, I thought that might now. when I was about 12, me and my cousin would sneak back there. And he was a little older, so he always had a pack of cigarettes. And we would go in there and go up in the loft and, and have a quick smoke. <laughs> oh, my. That's yeah. a great story. Well, uh, you know, also, one last thing. In the upstairs of this house, there was gas lights on uh, the walls. Oh, my. And they were uh, brass, and they were arms, I'm going to call them, 
about a foot long, and they would uh, swing out away from the wall or lay against the wall. So I guess you would swing it out, and there was a little knob on the bottom. You'd turn it on and light it with a match. And there was two of them in that upstairs hallway, and I guess that's how they lit the place. Wow, amazing. Isn't that something? Yeah. But anyway, the only thing I had to to talk there about with, with greenery involved was the grapes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's call them the grapes of wrath. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great story. I, I, thanks. I love your show. Thank you guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks. Let's head over to Barb's yard now. Hi, Barb. Hi, Mac. Hi. Uh, a couple quick comments. Uh, last week, I believe, or the week before, Brian suggested gluing push pins on the bird feeder. If I do, you remember that? Yes. And so I rushed right to town and got some, and it has successfully gotten the. I haven't saw a squirrel on it yet, and the birds light kind of carefully, so it sort of works. Uh, the uh, comment I wanted uh, my if my chrysanthemum, not chrysanthemum. Okay, try another one. Uh, uh, geraniums are leggy. They've got maybe a foot tall on some of the stems and a poor-looking flower on the end. Can I cut those severely back, and will they come out again maybe this year? Probably not this year. But I would oh. say, how many stems do you have? Oh, quite a bit. Half a dozen on a plant, yeah. Okay, I would say cut back three of them. And see what happens, and then leave the other three so in case the ones that you've cut back don't push out any new growth. Can can you do the same thing to uh, petunias that are leggy and looking yucky now? Uh, Cut them back, and hopefully they'll come back. Right. The chances are pretty minimal. And just, you know, for the future with the petunias, just make sure you get the varieties that are not going to elongate so much. The geraniums, are they in full sun? Uh, no, what I read up, they're not supposed to be full sun in the afternoon. No, they Morning should be, they, they're elongated oh, really? possibly because they're not getting enough sunlight. Okay. Can I cut my, uh, new Rosa Sharon back a lot so they'll bush out more than get tall? I would say just leave them alone if they're new, <laughs> newly planted. Don't do anything yeah. for the first, you know, two years or so. Yeah, they're about six feet tall already. Um, okay, thank you very much for sure. your help. My pleasure. And let's see, where should we go now? Um, how about let's go over to Charlie's yard. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have, I live in on a hill in Eureka, and uh, my walkway is trimmed with uh, vinca minor or periwinkle and an occasional yucca plant. Well, about two years ago, uh, the deer, they're, they're profuse out here. I saw the deer firsthand eating the yuccas, and they also ate the majority of the periwinkle. Well, the yuccas have responded, which they usually do, but the periwinkle looks like it's almost gone dormant. And I, I use rapid grow on it time, from time to time, but other than that, I'm stymied. There's not too, you know, there's really not too much you can do. You probably should, uh, rather than trying to get the existing ones to, you know, let's say infill or whatever, just head to your favorite garden center and get a couple more flats and just add some new plant material. 
Well, I've got a lot of it that grows wild in the woods. I could certainly transplant that. But uh, you, you say transplant as opposed to uh, trying to feed it and let it spread. Yeah, you're not going to be for the let's say the ones that have been damaged by the deer for them to recover aesthetically. It's going to be a long involved process. So I would say it's not really probably worth your time or effort, mental money, real money or anything else. Again, I would say rather than trying to dig it up out of the woods, I would go and get some new plants that have been grown you know, professionally and put those into the locations where the damage has been done. Okay. I appreciate your time. Thank sure. you. My pleasure. And let's get one more call in. Let's go to uh, Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi. I'm calling back. I have another question. Oh. I have a bunch of hardy hibiscus and daylilies to transplant out of a bed that we need to get rid of. And I don't, I want to put them um, in a bed somewhere else. So is it okay to do that like in September, kind of when it cools down? Or should I do it like, I think that's when, because we have a lot of prep work to do for that bed. Will that work? Yeah, you should be fine. Yeah, definitely get the area that you're going to move them to prepared before you start digging the ones up to move. Right. And can I, the daylily is a big clump. Can I just dig that all up and then separate it? I want to make more than one clump, like a couple of clumps. Sure. Definitely just make sure you get some, you know, don't cut the the blades off, the, the foliage off until you do the division. And then after you get them re, you know, relocated, then go ahead and cut the you know, foliage back if it starts to look wimpy or limp or whatever. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Let's head over to Brian's yard. Hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Uh, hey, got a question. In I've got a couple of raised uh, beds that uh, border the front of the house. Uh, a few years ago, I planted the an ornamental grass. Uh, I don't know what it is. It, it grows about 12 to 18 inches tall. It's green. In the fall, it uh, produces a little, like, dark purple seeds or berry kind of things. And this stuff is really, it's got run. I, I need to get rid of it. Uh, got some other uh, bushes in there, and I, I don't know the best to just dig it up, or I thought about covering it with plastic and giving it a slow death. What What do you think? Are you against Are you against herbicides? No, I no, not at all. I just want to replant it as soon as I get rid of this with, okay. uh, you know, um, other you know flowers and other things. Right, but uh, I mean, a, a product like Roundup will kill, and it doesn't have any residual effect into the soil after it kills the plants that you're trying to kill. Okay. So and it, it won't, I've got a couple of azaleas in there that I'd like to keep uh, that's, you know, right in there, and this stuff's grown up all around them. Right. And uh, I've also got a well-established holly bush that I don't want to kill it. Yeah, so you're just going to have to be really careful around, you know, the okay. stuff that you're trying to save because even if it doesn't, let's say, drift or get enough of the, let's say, the Roundup or any herbicide you choose to use, what you can do then is you can use a grass killer. It's just not going to be quite as effective. And grass killer will only kill the grass. It won't kill something else. But you still should be careful and cautious not to let it drift onto the plant material like the ones you describe, hollies or azaleas or whatever it happens to be. Okay, so even though it's 
considered kind of an ornamental grass that's still in the grass family, right. so that would that would work. Okay, right. Just uh, doesn't matter as long as they're grass blades, you know, narrow, long, elongated blades or leaves. Okay. Yeah. Yep, that's what they are, and this stuff kind of migrates. I see sprigs of it out in the lawn. But oh, my. It, yeah. Anyway, okay, well, very good. I'll definitely give that a shot right now. Great. Good luck with that. And now let's head over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, what I'm calling about is, we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. In the middle of getting rid of some day lilies where I don't want them going, they've been tear, uh, kicking over an area. But I'm also digging up uh, bulb flowers, and I just heard you say this is the wrong time uh, to to transplant or plant new bulbs. And, but um, I'm literally in the middle of this. I got the uh, bulbs I need to transplant because I just dug them up. What what do I do? Do I wait? Put them aside and wait? Let so- them dry up? What kind of bulbs are these? Like tulips and daffodils? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, this uh, flower that shoots up with a group of pink ones. So, the, well, so the, that's probably a surprise lily? Yeah. 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 Or probably. naked lady, as some people call them. I would probably get the, you know, pull the bulb out and just, you know, wrap them in newspaper and put them in a paper bag yeah. and wait yeah. for another probably month or two. Before okay. you and reinstall them. The size of small apples. So anyway, I got a lot of them, and uh, so I just just put them in a the paper and forget them for a month. Right, a couple months, and wait until the weather. You know, just wait. I mean, you could probably go ahead and just transplant them directly, but if you don't have the new bed space ready, then it's not going to work. I, I do have new bed space, right? Oh, do you? Then uh-huh. I would say if you said you have a lot of them, I'd say plant, transplant half of them to the new location and store the other half to plant, you know, uh, let's say in mid or late September. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I always like to split things up because if, you know, something's being more successful than the other, that's why I always I keep saying split things. So okay. as far as quantity goes. All right, All right. thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sure. And now let's go over to Alice's yard. Hi, Alice. Hello, Alice. Oops. I missed what you told the lady about 
uh, spraying the Japanese beetles. I use seven powder and seven liquid and a liquid spray that was, was for all kinds of bugs, including the beetles. But we had a terrible infestation this year, mm. and they just ate my roses like they were, you know, there was, there was no tomorrow. Right. And I missed what you told her to get. Uh, you can use the things that you've used. You just have to spray it directly onto the Japanese beetle. Or if, oh, well, in, well, I did that in most cases. And then sometimes if I could get at them, I cut them in half with my clippers. <laughs> well, that's fine. And also, since you're not having, it's not with edible stuff or anything, you can get an insecticide that's called a systemic. So in other words, you put it in the ground, on the ground, and then it's yeah. absorbed up through your roses. And then as something starts feeding on it, it gets poisoned that way as well. Oh, well, I've got some systemic. I'll try that. Okay. When do I put that on? Anytime? Uh, it's getting a little bit late in the season, but you can go ahead and do it. It won't hurt. And then just plan on doing it. As soon as the rose foliage starts coming out in the spring, do the first application of the systemic. Well, this this one white rose that I have is nine feet tall now. <laughs> and it has like 20-some buds at a time. Wow. And as soon as the white petals showed, there they were consuming <laughs> it. But we did get probably, uh, I don't know, thousands of them in a couple of beetle traps. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, they're ferocious. There's no getting around it. Yeah, I know. They were just, I, I've never seen them like this in my life. And I hope I never see him again. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's oh, go over. Thanks. Love your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And let's you head, bet. Over, head over to Robert. Bye bye. Yep. Hi, Robert. Hey, good morning, Mike. Um, I got some more peach tree problems. Uh, the tree is so laden this year that the branches are just bowed down to the ground. Ooh. And um, I've, I've got it propped up by two or three, three actually, uh, posts and poles and, and what have you. But um, the, the peaches aren't that large, and it's, it's not quite time for them to pick. Emma, is the tree in distress now? Should I go ahead and pull them off of there to save the tree? Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would say that's the case. And then next year, go ahead and enjoy the peach flowers but as soon as you start to see the fruit set, take about half the fruit off. And that way you won't have this problem from the weight factor because that stresses a tree. It could be minor, you know, cause minor fissures or cracks. And that could be to, you know, the detriment of the tree just in general. But mm -hmm. in, the, in the fruit that's on there now, you're probably not going to have that much success with it. But it, like I said, in the future, after it finishes flowering, you start to see the fruit set. Get rid of about half the fruit that you see set. Well, not, that you mentioned that, you know, there's always uh, at least 100 or, or more that drop. You know, you don't have to pull them off. They just fall off naturally. But apparently the ones that are staying are still heavy enough to cause the branch. Yes. So it's not strong enough. So you're going to have gotcha. to take off Understood. some more. All right. Thanks very much. It's uh, i got some work to do now. 
Uh, Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis. Hi, Lisa. Mike, Um, I just wanted to give a shout out this morning. Hello, are you there? I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good morning. I wanted to give a shout-out to Missouri Botanical Garden. The Daylily Society is having their Daylily sale this morning. Whoa. Uh, and I just wanted to let everybody know if they're interested. Uh, just one thing to note, uh, you have to either have cash or a checkbook to pay for them, but it's, they're having a wonderful sale this morning. And it's at the Botanical Garden grounds? Yes, it is, right in the parking lot. Oh, perfect. It's outside in the parking lot. Well, great. Well, thanks. All righty. Well, they hadn't had their sale in a couple years. Right. Um, they're finally able to do that this year. So everybody get out there if you need some, some daylilies this year. And daylilies are spectacular. I don't have any myself, but I certainly enjoy them in other yards. Oh, they're beautiful. Yes. They're wonderful. All right. Well, thank you. You have a good day. Sure. Same to you. And good luck with the sale. And now let's uh, head over to Glenn's. Hi, Glenn. Hey, good morning, Mike. I am uh, considering putting in a wildflower garden on our property uh, that's now grass and weeds, and it's maybe about 10 by 30. Any suggestions, the best way to prepare that soil before I start planting either plants or seeds? Basically, what you should do is be patient and not try to rush the whole thing and maybe take a full season of, you know, killing off some of the existing things preparing the soil, then killing off, you know, after the soil's been prepared, keep monitoring as far as, uh, you know, weeds and growth like that. So it may be a year and a half or so before you actually start planting the plants that you want. But that's going to save you a lot of grief in the long term. Okay. Okay. That's what I needed. Thanks for your advice. Sure. I mean, a lot of people want to get it done, you know, right then, and they end up adding, you know, let's say a nightmare upon a nightmare that was supposed to be a dream circumstance. So just watch out about doing that. Be patient. Okay. Well, that's not always so easy, but I'll give it my best. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I know it's not easy. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Glenn. And now let's head over to John Jard. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Good. I've got a problem in my yard. It's kind of a like a kinky little weed, you know, that's taken over. A um, lot of little leaves going up this stem, Look, and there's three leaves on each little area, you know. And it sort of would equate to, I know it's a weed, it's not grass, it's like sort of like an African-American's hair versus a long straight hair, which is grass. This is a weed. It's just taken over my yard, my neighbor's yard. So I was listening to your conversation the tail end of it when I tuned in to the gentleman you're talking with about Roundup, mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to round up my whole yard front Ooh. and back and just kill it. Can start over because I have a terrible yard. I don't think any of this can be, or much of it can be sprayed out or pulled. What do you? What's your What's your thought on that? Just if you, I don't know how big your yard is or anything else, but you're talking about a major project that's going to be a long, involved process. So as long as you understand that, then you, you, you're you fine to go after it. Well, 
are you saying that every lawn can look like a great golf course lawn if you just have enough patience and enough chemicals? And <laughs> well, basically, well, kind of. And it's just, I mean, it's you know, it's staying persistent, and it's also the timing of doing whatever you need to be, whatever needs to be done. And probably before I even started, I would get a soil test done and find out what the soil is right now to see if you need to improve the soil after you, you know, when you start, let's say, the the rebuilding process. And would you take that down to the botanical gardens and have it tested, or what would you do? No, no, the University of Missouri. Yeah, the University of Missouri Extension Service, they have an office in Kirkwood that you can drop the sample off. The botanical Mm -hmm. garden won't take it. Okay. All right. That's down in Kirkwood, you say? Yeah, it's Kirkwood on Monroe, very near the train station. So University of Missouri Extension Service, you can go online and find out exactly how you need to take the sample just to find out what your ground is all about. Okay, and they will tell me how what areas to take it from, like some from the backyard, a few from the front. Right. They'll say, you know, like an ice cream scoop, you're going to fill up a Ziploc bag. You don't want any roots in it. You don't want any kind of leaves in it or anything. So you're going to have to go below the root system of whatever they're, you know, whatever's growing there. So you're going to have to sort of dig up a plot and flip it over and then get down to where the soil is. Okay, and then on the outside of each bag with a Sharpie pen, uh, write down what part of the yard that came from? Well, you probably, if you want to just do a backyard and a front yard, you don't need to break it, you know, break it down. So in each soil sample will take about, I think it costs $25 for each one. Okay, that's fine. That's worth it. Okay, you're you're under the belief that you fight the thing just by, you know, putting chemicals on at the right time. Right, exactly. And finding out what there is initially, just so once you get the things under control that you want to, that what you need to do or what you should not do. So and, when they when they give me the analysis of the reports or whatever uh, that you pay for. Are they also going to say, here's the cure for this area, and here's what you need to do to fortify it? Or it, Well, yeah, basically, they're, they're going to say, you got too much of this stuff, you don't have enough of this, and that will tell you what you need to add have the you know, added to the soils. Okay. okay, great. Thank you, sir. Have a good weekend. Sure, my pleasure. Also, it's going to tell you what the soil pH is. So everybody f- for years and years thought that lawn needed a— you know, an alkaline soil, and that's why people were adding lime. And lawns, basically areas, really want a slightly acidic soil. So for the ideal circumstance for a lawn to grow, the soil pH should be about 6.5. 7 is neutral, and, you know, above 7 is alkaline. So if your soil pH is like 8 or something, you're going to have to fool around with getting that soil pH brought back down. So there's lots of different things that you need to be concerned with. And I don't know if we can get, uh, Jules, can you do it real quickly? Uh, yeah, yes. Okay, he's got to uh, do it quick. Okay, so unlike uh, the peach tree with too many flowers, I don't have any. Uh, my dipylodenia all winter long flowered in the house, outside nothing. Uh, I've had strelitzia for five years or more, and no flowers. Any recommendations? Are you fertilizing? Yes. So you're fertilizing, you're doing everything you possibly can, so the diplodenia and those kind of things, it's kind of a roll of the dice. 
I mean, as long as the foliage is healthy and everything else, uh, that's about all you can do. Hmm. Okay. There's no, there's no magical incantation or anything else. So thanks, Jules. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for calling in. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.